Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The mission of the Greenville Oaks Church of Christ is to inspire people to follow Jesus because we are convinced that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Find out more about Greenville Oaks or connect with us online at greenvilleoaks.org. As always, we ask that you subscribe to, rate, and review our podcast. It makes it easier for others to find us. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Colin Packer. If you've been paying attention to the news this week, you know that this has been a challenging week. And uh, as my kids get older, these conversations at the table become different. And I know many of us have been uh, seeing the same from the FedEx shooting to marches in the streets. It seems like the reprieve was here during quarantine and we have a choice between quarantine or this violence and this challenge. And so I want to lift up a prayer this morning on behalf of all that's going on in our country right now. Um, We've got a trial that I know is finishing up this week as well that I know will uh, lead to responses from all sides. And so I want to pray that we can be the peacemakers and the people of God. Pray that we can mourn with those who mourn. Beatitudes are a place I'm spending a lot of time right now. As a reminder of who Jesus blesses, as a reminder of our response as Christians. So let us pray as we open our time this morning. Father, you alone knew that when the story in the garden of this fruit being taken, of what the consequence of that would be. Brother set against brother, children set against parents. Every single division we seem to have set against one another. Father, you set your church as the people of God to somehow be a light in the midst of darkness, to somehow uh, speak up, to somehow pray, to somehow be the light of the world, the salt of the earth. And so God, in the midst of the conversations we have, in the midst of the tears that we shed, in the midst of the steps that we take on behalf of families, I pray that you would bring peace this week, God. Not peace as an absence of conflict alone, but peace as the shalom that's envisioned in Scripture, the the full presence of your Spirit and the presence that you bring to this earth. And God, we as your church are called to exhibit that, to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. So God, would you give us um, everything we need so that we can be peacemakers, so that we can... Mourn with those who mourn that so we can be merciful, so that we can hunger and thirst for righteousness this week. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. I heard a story about a church in West Texas that had a 
surprise guest one morning. It was none other than the devil himself. He appeared in a puff of smoke at the very front of the sanctuary and everyone started screaming and running for the doors, practically trampling each other on the way out the door. Before you knew it, everyone was gone except for one elderly gentleman who sat very calmly in his seat, not moving, seeming oblivious to the fact the devil was right there in the room with him. And this confused Satan a bit. So he walked up to the man and he said, don't you know who I am? The man replied, yep, sure do. Aren't you afraid of me? Nope, sure ain't. And this perturbed Satan to no end. And he angrily asked, well, why aren't you afraid of me? And the little old man replied, been married to your sister for 48 years. I suppose we all have someone that we like to vilify. If there was ever a villain in the early story of the early church, it was this man named Saul. Uh, This Saul that we know today as Paul. If you're with us for the first time, as I said earlier in our service, we're uh, walking through the story and we're in the story of the early church following the life of Jesus, the story of Israel that we've walked through. But this is the story that we get to be written into, the book of Acts, right? We're Acts 29, the, the, the story after chapter 28 ends. And this past week, we've been in chapter 29 of the story, which is titled Paul's Mission. The Apostle Paul had uh, uh, was a hero of the Christian faith. He was the great evangelist who took the, the story of the gospel across the world. He wrote nearly half of the New Testament. 13 of the 27 books in the New Testament are attributed to this Paul. Paul had a dark past. Paul was a villain in this story became, before he became a hero. And when we first meet him in Acts chapter 7, he's present and he's approving to the stoning, the death of the first Christian martyr, a man named Stephen. On that fatal day, a great persecution had broken out against the followers of Christ in Jerusalem and Saul is the one leading the way. We see him again in Acts chapter 9. If you have your Bibles uh, with you this morning, I want to encourage you to open there with me. We'll be turning through several pages in the New Testament. But Acts 9, beginning in verse 1, we read about him on a road to Damascus, this one who had approved of the death of, of Christians. And this is what we read there. Acts 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Saul is one of the main problems for the early church. He's approving of the death of Stephen, holding coats so that people can wind up their arms to throw stones at him. Now in chapter 9, he's He's on his way to Damascus to continue to cause problems for people of the way. Interesting language. He didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah. He didn't believe he'd been resurrected. He was a a Jewish man who believed Jesus' followers were dangerous heretics for following this Jesus and calling him the Messiah, calling him Lord. He was going to stand against anyone who perverted the faith that had been handed down to him. But somewhere along that road to Damascus, Saul was literally blinded by the light of the one whom he didn't believe in. 
He had a supernatural encounter with the risen Jesus on the road that altered the course of Saul's life from that day forward. And so instead of riding into Damascus as he would have on this search and seize mission for Jesus' followers, he arrives in Damascus blind, helpless, led by the hand and seized by Jesus himself. The problem is none of the followers of Jesus could possibly believe that Saul had actually been changed on that road. Who would trust the word of the man who approved of the death of Stephen? But God had appeared to a man named Ananias. And that supernatural encounter ends in a call for Ananias, this believer in Jesus, to go to Saul and to lay his hands on him so that his sight would be restored. Now, imagine being Ananias, you would be reluctant at first as well, wouldn't you? Reluctantly, he hears this word and he actually challenges and lectures Jesus on on the harm that had been done, that Saul had done. But Jesus says this to Ananias in Acts chapter 9, verse 15. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. And that's exactly what Saul would go on to do. Saul would become known as Paul for the rest of his life. He had his sight restored. He was baptized into Jesus Christ and he became a missionary to the Gentiles. Today, I want to offer you a few reflections from Saul's life, from Paul's life as well. I want to offer two reflections from the life of Saul before he becomes Paul. And then I want to offer two final reflections on Paul. The first about Saul. First, the life of Saul teaches us it's possible to be absolutely sincere and sincerely wrong. Later in his life, when Paul gives his testimony in Acts 22, he reflects back on that time early on in his life. And he said that it was in his zeal for God that he persecuted followers of Christ. He was zealous in everything he did, especially in what he did to honor God. And out of his passion for God, he sincerely thought the right thing to do was to launch a crusade against the followers of Christ before they deceived anyone else into believing that Jesus was the Son of God and by following his teachings. Paul's own life reminds us that one can be absolutely sincere and be sincerely wrong at the same time. Which reminds me of a book that I've encouraged you to read before. The title is Being Wrong by Katherine Schultz. And in her book, Schultz makes the case that most of us go through life assuming that we are basically right about basically everything about basically all the time. About our political and intellectual convictions, our religious and moral beliefs, our assessments of other people, our, our memories, even our grasp of the facts. But as fallible human beings, it's important to realize that we are all wrong about that. None of us is correct about everything. I'm going to ask for a few amens this morning. That was one I wanted to start with. Can we amen that one? In fact, we're wrong about what it means to be wrong. Being wrong is a vital part of how we learn. It's how we change and how we grow. So errors shouldn't be seen as this embarrassment to admit. It's inevitable. I have no doubt that I've preached error from this pulpit before. I don't see God face to face and one day I'll see things more clearly. That's the first amen I was going to ask for, by the way. Would you say amen to that this morning? 
Now, to be wrong is to believe something is true when it's false or to believe something is false when it's true. But here's what we fail to understand about being wrong. Here's where I need you to listen closely. There is no experience of being wrong. There is an experience of realizing that we are wrong, of course. But by definition, there can't be a particular feeling associated with being wrong. Indeed, the whole reason it's possible to be wrong is that while it's happening, you're oblivious to it. That's an amen. That's right this morning. You're like the coyote in the Roadrunner cartoon. You remember this growing up? Literally in his case and figuratively in yours, you're already in trouble when you're over the hill, but it feels like you're on solid ground still. You remember how long he hung there before he would fall to the, to the floor? So I should revise myself. It does feel like something to be wrong. It feels like being right. And this is the problem of error blindness. Whatever falsehoods each of us currently believes, no matter how sincerely, are necessarily invisible to us. Think about the telling fact that the error literally doesn't exist in the first person present tense. The sentence, I am wrong, describes a logical impossibility. Because as soon as we're wrong, we aren't wrong anymore. Because to recognize a belief as false is to stop believing it. Thus, we can only say, I was wrong, past tense. Are you following me so far? And all of this should lead us to a place of humility. Because we are all wrong about many different things in our lives, but we're all blind to that fact. And let's face it, some of the most dangerous things that occur in our world are the result of human beings who are certain they are right about something that history will prove they're wrong about. And that's the problem with Saul early on in the book of Acts. He is sincerely wrong, and his sincerity leads him with a zeal to actually murder people who are right at that point. Yes, it's possible to be sincerely wrong and still think, be as sincere as we possibly can. Paul was. And this is actually part of his testimony as he refers back to that moment that he was as sure as he could be. But he sinned as a result of his zeal. Second, the the life of Saul teaches us it's possible to be religious and still miss Jesus. Not only was Saul sincere in seeking to honor God when he was persecuting Christians, but he was deeply religious. He was educated about who God was. Look at what else he says about himself when reflecting on his life before Jesus as he gives his testimony later on in the book of Acts. This is in Acts chapter 22, verse 3. I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. Now he mentions this guy named Gamaliel. He had this incredible opportunity to study under Gamaliel, which was in those days like saying he studied at Harvard University. He was gifted with this incredible scholarship But another insight into Paul comes a little bit later on in in Philippians chapter 3 as he's also giving his resume about his past. Listen listen to this, Philippians 3 verse 4. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, 
As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Paul had it down. Paul was steeped in in religion and boasted of a strong religious heritage. But religion and a religious heritage that doesn't lead to Jesus and isn't centered on Jesus is one huge adventure in missing the point. Let me say that again. Religion and a religious heritage that doesn't lead us to Jesus, that doesn't center on Jesus, is one huge adventure in missing the point. That's the whole point of the story, church. The scriptures were given us so they might point us to Jesus, who is the source of life, who is the way that these followers of Jesus follow. And so plenty of people have pursued religion without finding Jesus. That would be a huge blunder for us as a church. As if we just gathered each week to do the rituals, to make sure we check all the boxes and we miss the point of this whole thing. It's Jesus Christ. In fact, one of the common themes of Paul's letters is this very thing. He's attempting to call followers of Christ back to Christ. They've gotten caught up in in religious ritual. They've gotten caught up in legalism. And he's trying to point them back to the source of where life is. Remember, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so those are two reflections from the life of Saul, the first part of Saul's life. But let me close with two reflections from the life of Paul. First, the life of Paul teaches us that when it comes to having a relationship with Jesus, no one is hopeless. When Paul becomes a follower of Christ, almost no other Christian believes it. They couldn't help but think of him in light of his past, right? They knew who he was. They knew the the sins that he had committed against even some of their brothers and sisters in Christ. His early years as a believer were tough, with some churches not wanting to let him in the door. But aren't you glad that Jesus saw more in Paul than his past? No one is hopeless when it comes to having a relationship with Jesus. No matter how bad their start in life is, no matter how long in life they went on without Christ, no one is hopeless. Because Jesus has worked to remove our past and all of our sins to remove those so that we might have a future life with Jesus. That's what Jesus is interested in in your life. Yes, it's important that we don't skim over our past. It's important that we don't don't move away and don't confess those things in the past that have caused harm to others and have led people away from Jesus. But we confess those things and we repent and we move forward. And that's what Jesus is interested in in your life. Where's your next step taking you? Is it closer to the heart of Jesus? Is it closer to the the abundant life that Jesus teaches? That's what's important. See, Jesus died for our past so that we might all have a future. And Paul's life is a testimony to the fact that anyone can find a new start in Jesus. Listen to this in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Again, this is Paul writing. Paul knows what he's saying from personal experience. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. How much did it take in Paul's life for him to get to the point he could pen those words? If anyone is in Christ, Paul's including himself in that, right? The old is gone, the new has come, the new creation is on its way. And finally, the second point from Paul's life The life of Paul teaches us that when it comes to being in a relationship with Jesus, nothing is useless. 
Paul provides a powerful illustration of how Jesus can use everything we carry into a relationship with him. For example, Paul was from Tarsus. We read that earlier in the story. The key city in the Roman Empire with what some would say was the most advanced university system in the Roman Empire at that time. He grew up with the finest education imaginable. That's not something he left behind when he followed Jesus. If you remember him at Mars Hill when he's there in Athens, you see him speaking to the intellectual Greeks in Athens. He doesn't throw away the training he has. He uses it. He utilizes it to speak to those that many other, the fishermen among them like Peter, may not have spoken to in the same way. And he's able later to speak to city leaders, to to governmental officials throughout the Roman Empire. And because he was born in Tarsus, it also meant he was a Roman citizen. He didn't throw away his Roman citizenship when he became a follower of Jesus. This would serve him well on numerous occasions. When people wanted to put Paul to death, and it was Rome of all things that had to step in when Paul would hold up that citizenship card and say, sorry you can't, I'm actually a Roman citizen. Paul knew when to to play the right moments from his past and the right moments in, in his present. Paul's Roman citizenship preserved his life so that he could go on to spread the message of Jesus. And so his study under Gamaliel gave Paul the credibility to relate to to Jewish people, to share the message of Christ with them. And all of his experiences, all of his education and background enabled Paul to do what he talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 in verse 20 and following. I, I think this is such an important verse in our own day, a challenge for all of us. Paul says, to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak. To win the weak, I've become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do this all for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Nothing in Paul's life before he encountered Christ was wasted afterward. Instead, it was used to serve Christ in the end. And it wasn't just Paul's experiences, his upbringing, his background that was useful. It wasn't just the good things. It wasn't just the education. It was also his sinful past that he continues to tell the story of and use for Christ later on. Listen to what Paul says later on in his ministry in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. Paul knows his sinful past and he doesn't hide it. He actually reminds people of it on a constant basis. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. It's true in Christ, the old is gone. The new has come. The new creation has begun. And so there's a sense in which we live free from all that past. As far as the East is from the West, so God, so far as God removed our sinful past from us, praise God. 
But when Paul encountered the weak, when Paul encountered sinners, he was not ashamed to say, you wouldn't believe what's in my past. You wouldn't believe what God has redeemed. I'm the worst. I'm the chief of sinners. And how that had to have put people at ease who wondered, could I be received in? This is actually a theme we've seen throughout the story, isn't it? All these villains from the past, all these people with all this history of sin that God uses and redeems and and uses in powerful ways. You remember back to the story of Moses, don't you? Moses was a murderer. God used Moses to lead his people out of bondage. Jacob was a liar. David was an adulterer, a liar, and a murderer. Peter. Peter denies Jesus. But Jesus restores Peter and says, do you love me? And there's an opportunity for Peter in Acts chapter 2 to get up and preach the message where 3,000 are baptized. I don't know what you have in your past. And we tend to talk about that as if it's the bad things only. But think about all the good things you have in your past and education. Think, think about the experiences you've had, the things you bring to the table, the kingdom of God. What I want to tell you is don't throw those things away. God has written your past story in order to use you in powerful ways in these days. Don't, don't throw away the past. Christ can redeem anything and bring it forward. The same, though, is true about our sinful past. Whatever sins you have, whatever sins I have in my past, those are things that the gospel actually gets to shine through. No one looks at us and says, well, look at this perfect person God called. No, it's in our imperfection and our sin that God is glorified most through the transforming power of Jesus Christ. Some of the most powerful testimony and ministry you'll ever have is through the past that God has redeemed and restored and reconciled and made right so that you can walk others through it. And that's what a church ought to be about. You know, that's the blessing of being a preacher in a church is you get to know people. You don't get to know everyone to the degree you'd like, but many of you, as you get more involved in this church, you realize that we have some of the same past that, that Paul does. And when you know the struggles that others have had, when you know the pains they've been through, when you know that someone's been through a divorce, they've been through an abortion, or they've been through whatever it may be that's in their past that may be a struggle, it's a relationship strain, it's it's financial impropriety, it's, it's infidelity, whatever that painful past is, if we know that as a church, if we're able to share that, not to put a mask on, and we know how God's restored, then when people walk in the door and they go, I don't know if I could be welcomed here because this is what I've been through, we're able to say, you know, Fred could really help you with that. And Susan could really help you with that because this is a church where you don't have to be perfect to come in. This is a church where we've all been redeemed from all kinds of things and God uses all of that past. It's not useless, it's useful when it's given over to God and redeemed and restored. So this is why vulnerability, this is why confession, this is why being a real community with one another is so important. Because if we aren't real, everyone feels alone and isolated when they walk in these doors. But when we're able to share that, we're able to give God the glory and tell those stories, all of a sudden everyone has a story to tell. Everyone has a ministry to engage in. And that was true for Paul, the chief of sinners. In this story, we've learned that villains can be transformed into heroes. Saul was the villain in the first century. And right now, I don't know about you, but there's probably people in our culture that you think if they showed up to church, we might as well make sure they don't get in here because we wouldn't want to be associated with them. 
But I have to wonder, maybe those are the most powerful cases of the gospel being useful, is when these people that we're fearful of, we don't want to be associated with or transformed by the power of the God. Who would be the current day Saul in your life? Who would be the current day Saul that our church would say, ah, I don't know if we can trust this thing unless God showed up to us and said this person was transformed. I wonder if that's the very thing God is up to in this day. God wants to use you not in spite of your mistakes and sins. It may be your very past that God is is going to use to prepare you to be most useful in his kingdom. I want to pray this morning that God would continue to do that work in our lives, that we would continue to be honest and vulnerable about those things so that we can bless anyone who walks through these doors, even the souls that may be coming in the days ahead. God, I, I pray this morning for us as a body. God, you know things we don't about us, things that we wish no one would find out. And that's not some sort of barrier to you. In fact, it's the very way you receive glory when we're honest about those things. God, I pray for modern-day Moseses and Davids, modern-day Jacobs and Sauls. I pray that we wouldn't count them out. I pray that we wouldn't think that they're too far beyond the scope of the gospel because it's the very gospel and story you've given to us to remind us that that's what some of us were. And yet you've restored and you've forgiven and you've redeemed us and you've given us a mission to go out on. And so God, we confess this morning that we, like Saul, like Paul, have sinned. We've fallen short of your glory. We've caused harm in people's lives. We've caused people to walk away from the faith, some of us, because they knew we were Christians and we didn't live up to that calling. We got to thank you for the second half of this story that reminds us that all of that is useful in your kingdom. All of that is something that you can use for your glory, and we want that to happen today. So God, take our sins and transform them. Take our sins and forgive them. We thank you for Jesus who makes that possible and your Holy Spirit who continues to work and move. It's the name of Jesus we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Be standing now as we close our time this morning. May you, my brothers and sisters, find that even your greatest sins and mistakes can be redeemed for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Go in peace today. Thank you for listening to this message from the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. We hope this message helps you to inspire people to follow Jesus because you're convinced, like we are, that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Connect with us on Facebook. You can find and like our page at Greenville Oaks. Discover more about the Greenville Oaks Church online at greenvilleoaks.org.